Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. All right, uh, let's, let's get started, shall we? Um, I want to start this afternoon similar to the way we started this morning, so I want you to get out your Bible, and I want you to open to, this time, Psalm 103, and let's, let's do the same thing we did this morning. Let's just take a second, slow down just a little bit, focus our mind on God, and just, I'm just going to give you a handful of minutes. Psalm 103 is a big psalm. You won't get through the whole thing, but at least just begin to pray through Psalm 103 after the model I sort of gave you this morning, just to Reflect on the words and soak in the words and then let those words be prompts to speak back to God uh, what his word is doing in your own soul. So just take a second with Psalm 103 and for a few minutes, focus on God and pray through Psalm 103. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you for though you are the almighty, infinite, eternal God. You dwell with the lowly, and you come to be with your people. So thanks for being with us. Thanks for loving us the way you do. May you bless our time together this afternoon. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I jumped a little bit down in, in Psalm 103, and uh, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. What struck me was the from us part. He didn't remove our transgressions from himself. He removed our transgressions from us, the guilt of our transgressions, the shame of our transgressions. Even even the power and the weight of our transgressions, he's removed that from us. That's that's good news. So, Um, All right, what we're... What we're working on is we're working on figuring out a plan and some habits to actually help us rearrange our life to be spirit-minded. That's what we're working on. And in the, this morning, we looked at Galatians chapter 5, and we talked about the idea of walking by the Spirit, and that idea of that implies effort, and we're going to have to rearrange our life, and hopefully we really intend to do that. And if we intend, that means we're going to decide, and we're going to plan to do it. That's sort of where we ended um, this morning. Um, before we jump into the text I want to look at today, I just want us to reflect on a couple words. So when you think of somebody whose life is, when you say, man, that person just exudes peace. They're just full of peace. Well, tell me what that looks like to you. What, what, peace as a character trait or a descriptor of a person. What, what, is, what is that? How would you describe that picture of that or what does that look like? At ease, okay? What else? Huh? Joyful, okay. Unburdened, okay. Joyful, happy, okay, good. Positive and affirmative, okay. Content, like they, yeah, yeah, okay, good. Calm, okay. When you say calm, describe that a little bit. Okay. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really good image. That calm waters is a really good image. In fact, First um, Peter chapter three, when it talks about um, the wife there in First Peter three, who's married to an unbelieving spouse, and she's supposed to have a gentle and quiet spirit. That image is one of the best images for what's being described there. Is her spirit is quiet, not her mouth. It's not. It's talking about she's not this always. She's soul or soul quiet there. So yeah, that's good. It's a good picture. Can you have that kind of in the midst of craziness? The regular testimony of Scripture is you can. You can have a calm soul, calm spirit. You can dwell in calm waters, even in the midst of craziness. Um, Again, Psalm 23 that we looked at this morning. We just give you a chance. I don't know how far you got in that, but even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I mean, that's even in the midst of brokenness, chaos, in that case, the shadow of death itself, I'm not all in turmoil and upset because you're with me. So you can have peace even in the midst of craziness. So it's good. It's a good picture. So calm, unburdened. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about the word life? When it says like, man, that person is just full of life. I mean, you think of somebody who, you just look at them like, they just radiate life. What does that look like? What are some descriptors of that? Enthusiastic. Okay. Joyful. Vibrant, okay, yeah, vibrancy. Okay, yeah, there's, their life is going somewhere, they're doing something, okay, yeah. Now, let me ask you, would you want a life that's marked by life and peace? Would you want, do you want life and peace? I mean, I, I think most people, religious, unreligious, it doesn't really matter, most people would say, man, it would be awesome if I could just have life and peace, right? So assuming that we want that, assuming that we want that, then let's look at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, which is the second great walking by the Spirit text in the New Testament in Paul's letters. And let's just kind of read down through it. I'll read through the first handful of verses of Romans 8, make a few comments as we go, and then I want to just draw our attention to a few things out of Romans chapter 8. So Romans chapter 8, picking up in verse, uh, in verse 9, or verse 1, sorry. Romans 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Um, that is good news, right? That there is no condemnation for you. There's no judgment for you, no penalty for you if you're in, in Christ. Uh, which, by the way, um, I baptized a, a young married couple two weeks ago out of Jump Creek Falls. And um, the week after, I baptized them on a Sunday. And the week after I baptized them, uh, 
I got a text on Tuesday morning, so just two days after baptized this couple, and the gal of the couple grew up in a Christian family, didn't really walk with Jesus from about 17 to 22, 23, 24. The, the guy of the couple, um, like no church background, no religious background, like it's all brand new. Um, so much so that just this last week he said, he, he, we're going through a Bible reading plan together, I'm kind of mentoring, helping him learn the Bible and all that, and he read way more than I told him to read, and I said, wow, you read a lot more than I told you to read. He said, I can't help it, man, it's a page turner. When was the last time you heard the Bible described as a page turner? But it's all so new to him, because he's never read it before. So I get a text this Tuesday morning, two days after I baptized him, from the guy, and he, he, uh, he says, um, feeling kind of down this morning, feeling a little bit dirty and unclean. Is there a passage of scripture that could help me out? Um, this was one I thought of sending him. No condemnation for you. I didn't send him this one. I sent him 2 Corinthians 5.17. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Uh, old things are gone, new things come. So I sent him that scripture, typed it out, and I said, and here's the thing. You know you're in Christ because you were just baptized into him on Sunday. So it's not a question mark. It's not a subjective feeling. It's not a doubt. You're in him, which means you're brand new and the old is gone. So I met with him. That was Tuesday morning. I, I meet with him every Tuesday afternoon. After he gets off work, he works at Micron. So I met with him that afternoon. He said, that was just really, really helpful because it also was really concrete. So if you're in Christ, according to Romans 8, there's no condemnation for you. There's no judgment for you. So if anyone is in Christ, no condemnation for him. Uh, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Don't have time to look at the whole backstory and context in the, the, the previous two chapters of Romans for that. You can do that on your own time. But basically, at the end of Romans 7, uh, the, the guy at the end of the Romans 7 is struggling with condemnation, sin, and death. And he can't seem to shake it. Um, and what Paul is saying here in Romans 8 is, but guess what? Though sin and death may be strong, there's another law at work in you because you're in Christ, and that law is stronger than the law of sin and death. That law is the law of the spirit of life. So if you're in Christ, not only is there no condemnation for you, if you're in Christ, you have the spirit. If you have the spirit, that law is more powerful than the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law couldn't do, weak as it was to the flesh. God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he... He what? He, what did he do? Look at your text. What does it say? He condemned sin in the flesh. Instead of condemning you, he condemned sin. Instead of condemning you, he condemned sin to its final demise in the flesh, specifically the flesh of Jesus, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, um, probably, scholars are actually divided on which, how to understand righteous requirement. Is it the just payment for sin, or is it meaning obeying sin? If you're reading the NIV, it actually tries to clarify it for you. They think it's righteous requirements. They put plural, meaning all the things that you need to do in order to please God. Um, I tend to think it's that direction just because of the following context, but it's not a huge deal here for our purposes. So, the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. And who's the us? Who do not 
walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And so we can please God through the Spirit because we walk, we carry out our life according to the, the Spirit. Verse 5, for those who live according to the flesh, those who organize their life, arrange their life, go about their life according to the wisdom, principles, resources, and power of the flesh, like we talked about this morning, those people set their minds on the things of the flesh. The things that occupy their minds and they think about are fleshly things. Um, those who are, uh, live according to the Spirit or walking according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. To set the mind on the flesh is, if you set your mind on the flesh, what is it? Death. To set your, those who set their mind on the flesh, well, that's death. But to set your mind on the things of the Spirit is life and peace. And we just said we want that just a couple minutes ago. And Paul just told you how you can have it. A life that's marked by those things you said, that's life and peace, vibrancy, calm, unburdened, joy-filled, living on purpose, going somewhere, right? Like life and peace. It's on offer to you. If you want it, you can have it. If you want it, you can have that. It's not a secret. It's not a mystery how to get it. Paul just told you how. You walk according to the Spirit, and you set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And if you do that, that's life and peace. So do you want that? Do you want it enough to rearrange your life to get it? Do you want it enough to go against the flow? Instead of just go with the usual, the flesh, do you actually want to rearrange your life according to the Spirit? If you want life and peace, Paul told you how to have it. So let's just reflect briefly on a couple of the little things he said. He said that those who walk according to the flesh set their mind on the things of the flesh. Those who walk according to the Spirit set their mind on the, the things of the Spirit. Notice the emphasis on the mind. Um, that a, a huge part of the spiritual walk is what you do with your mind. Uh, what you allow your mind to be focused on and set on. And so there's this huge emphasis. And it's not just here. You see it all over the place. In fact, later in Romans, Romans chapter 12, well-known passage. Um, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the... See, you all knew it. The renewing of your mind. Uh, that's over and over again in the New Testament. Colossians chapter 3, right? Like, um, therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above. That's mental activity. Set your heart on the things above. That's the focus of your life, right? Like there's this inner mental activity. So what you do with your mind matters. And notice, he says, set. The mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Not the mind that occasionally gets around to thinking about the Spirit once in a while. Not the mind that kind of dabbles in spiritual things here and there. Not the mind that says, oh yeah, Jesus is pretty cool, I like Jesus, but never actually talks to Jesus, reads Jesus' words, memorizes any of Jesus' words. No, the mind set. Set. Like a foundation. Settled. Planted. Rooted. Set. Uh, not occasionally. Not intermittently, but set, preoccupied with, filled up with, 
revolving itself around. Um, I know people who could tell you um, all the, we're just starting the football season. Tomorrow, week one begins in earnest, right? And in 10 weeks from now, there will be people, maybe some in this room, who could tell you all the, the stats for the key NFL players because why? Because their fantasy team really, you know, it matters, man. And they could tell you who's really performing and who to offload this week and who to, you know, right? Their mind is set on it. It's focused on it. It's full of it because it's important to them. What, what's important to us fills our mind. It's just the way it is. What's important to us fills our mind. Uh, we're talking about the mind set on, not occasionally getting around to or occasionally thinking about or occasionally singing a song about, but a mind that's planted, rooted, a mind where camp is set up on the things of the Spirit. And that, he says, is what's life and peace. Now, if your mind is going to be set on the things of the Spirit, this involves, um, this involves removing and resisting distractions. This involves removing and resisting distractions. And so you need to begin thinking about what are the things that I allow to occupy my mind that just take up so much mental space and so much time that I, I really don't give my, my mind over to the things of God and the things of the Spirit. Now, if I had to guess, I, would ha- I wouldn't be surprised if it had something to do with this. That's, there's, there could be some distractions here. Um, I don't know if you guys know the name Preston Sprinkle. He, he uh, texted me the other day, hey, what's your Twitter handle? I said, no Twitter for me right now. And then my son, a couple days later, said, hey, I heard Preston give you a little shout-out about your podcast through Twitter. I said, I said, yeah, he actually wanted my Twitter handle so he could tag me in it, but I can only handle so much social media. You know, Facebook and Instagram is about all I can do. You know, it takes so much time. And it, it's just distracting. And I, it just is mind-boggling to me, like, uh, my daughter and her husband are currently living at our house because they're looking for a, a bigger place because my daughter's pregnant and their little tiny apartment wouldn't house them all, so they're living at our house. And My daughter, you know, she occasionally watches Friends. I never really watched Friends. I'm not a Friends sort of guy. My daughter's watching Friends, and I'm like, this is the mid-90s. So I, I said, Ashley, just notice all the things that aren't there. No one's on the Internet on Friends. No one's getting email. No one's checking Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, anything on friends. It's like, that's not that long ago. And my, how the world has changed. And it's a massive distraction. Massive distraction. So we're going to have to resist some of that. We're probably going to have to remove some of it. We're going to have to think through how we're going to manage that. Um, and I know people know it's a problem because every now and then on social media, what happens? Guys, I'm checking out of Facebook for the next three weeks. If you want me, text me. Which means... All of a sudden, they, they heard a sermon like this or heard a message like this, like, that's a distraction, I need to get rid of it. Okay, but three weeks of checking out and then getting back right on, probably, let's think how to manage it regularly. How can we, we're going to have to remove and resist some of those distractions. I don't know what all distracts you. TV, movies, video games. We live in a culture that's ripe with distractions. Um, and so... We need to, if we're going to actually have our minds set on the things of God, we're going to figure out how we're going to have to live in this culture with all these distractions 
and, and handle those things wisely and appropriately so they don't consume and preoccupy our mind, because that's what the Spirit's supposed to be doing, consuming and preoccupying our mind. So we're going to have to remove and resist some of the distractions. So what is it that, that distracts you? You need to begin talking to Jesus about that and ask him maybe even to show you some things that distract you. Um, you know, the greatest freedom we have as human beings, one of the greatest freedoms, I should say, that we have as human beings is what we, we, what we allow to occupy our minds. We have more control there than just about anywhere else. Yeah, there could be things that come across the screen of our mind, but we don't have to allow them to occupy our minds. So one of the greatest freedoms you have as a follower of Jesus is what you allow to occupy your mind. And what this text is saying is, if you actually want life and peace, then you're going to begin paying attention to what occupies your minds. And you're going to, you're going to decide, I want this, the things of God and God's word and God's values to occupy my mind, and I don't want this. I don't want the things of this culture, this world. Uh, and I don't know that we fully appreciate how, how formative what occupies our minds really are. Um, this is just a, a kind of a simple example and a little, uh, a little, I don't know, almost pet peeve of mine maybe. I'm not totally sure it's that, but it's just something that I, I, I think is interesting. You, you watch most of our American movies where, you know, where if there's, if there's like a good guy and a bad guy, right, even if some of our superhero movies, um, and one of the, the dominant themes is how do you deal with bad guys? You crush them and you destroy them and anyone connected with them. How did Jesus deal with bad guys? Died for them. It's a totally different set of values. So why is it so many Christians are angry and want to destroy the bad guys? Because they've been watching movies about how that's how you do it. That's what occupies their minds. They don't think about self-giving love because they're not thinking about Jesus. Their mind has been formed by the movies and the shows they've watched. So we're going to have to really wrestle with, in this culture in which we find ourselves, how can we allow Jesus and his ways and his values and priorities to occupy our minds? Um, and so we're going to have to resist distractions. We're going to have to de determine what are we going to put in our mind and what are we not going to allow in our mind if our mind's going to be set on the things of the Spirit. All right? So I want to give you just a few minutes. Let's just take four or five minutes, maybe six minutes. And I, I just, again, want you to do a little prayer of examination and, and, and ask... Uh, Jesus um, and talk to Jesus about some of these things I'm bringing up from this passage, all right? And so why don't you just, um, let me just give you a little bit of direction to get us started. So why don't you just kind of bow your heads, close your eyes, um, slow back down and recenter on Jesus. And just ask, ask Jesus to help you see, Jesus, what, what, what am I allowing to occupy my mind that may be combating with the things that you're interested in and you want to occupy my mind? So just begin to ask Jesus to maybe open your mind and then just kind of talk with him about some of the things you, you begin to experience and see. Let's uh, resume here. Um, 
in both Galatians 5 and in uh, Romans 8, there's no promise of overnight instantaneous change. There isn't. But there is a promise of progressive increasing change if we'll do what they say. So walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh, Galatians 5.16. And if you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, that's life and peace. Those are promises that, that come with rearranging our life around the things of the Spirit. And if we'll do that, you won't wake up tomorrow and have perfect peace in your heart and be vibrant and joyful and full of life all the time. But slowly, over time, you will change. And before you know it, your life will be marked by these things called the fruit of the Spirit. Love. You'll love all people, all kinds of people. People that in your younger years you may never thought you could have ever loved. You'll love them. You'll love them well. Joy. You'll have a joy that you didn't ever imagine possible before. You'll radiate joy. You'll even be joyful when, when life sucks. And people will be think, that's weird. How is that possible? Well, it's because you're walking by the Spirit. And peace. You'll have peace. You'll be more patient than you ever used to be. You'll be more kind. You'll, you, your life will be marked by those things from the inside out. You won't be hanging ornaments on a dead tree like we do at Christmas. You'll be growing good fruit because the Spirit has come to dwell in you and God's character is within you. It's promised that if you will rearrange your life to walk according to the, the Spirit, then the things of the flesh will go by the wayside and the things of the Spirit will replace them. So we need to be people who make that our endeavor. So in just this last little section, what I want to do is I just want to take, based on what we read in Romans chapter 8, the, those who walk by the Spirit set their mind on the things of the, the Spirit. What are some things you and I can do? What are some things we can do to help us set our mind on the Spirit? Okay? What does it look like to have a mind set on the Spirit? So let me just give you some few little suggestions. I wanted to make these cute, clever, and easy to remember. That didn't happen. So, <clears throat> so, um, just because it just didn't happen. So here's what you get. Right, this first one's the longest of the lot, but it's really important. Um, yeah, I'll shorten it first, and I'll explain a little bit more. But you need to, you need to re regularly center your mind on a true vision of God. Okay? Write that down if you're taking notes. If you're not, if you're not taking notes, put it in your phone anyhow, because you're going to forget it, and you need to know this. Okay, this is really important to you. Because you want life and peace, and I want you to have life and peace. So, center your mind on a true vision of God. Now, let me explain what I mean. Uh, the true vision of God means God as he actually is. Not as you feel like he is, as you think he might be, but as God has actually revealed himself to us. That's why we started where we did last night with God's self-description. Uh, right? Yahweh, Yahweh, a compassionate and gracious God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin to a, you know, that passage we looked at last night. That's God's, that's God's introduction of himself. So you, you, need to, you need to keep learning who God is and making sure you're, you're centering your mind, keeping your mind focused on a true vision of God as he actually is. And you need to do that intentionally and consistently. Not 
not sporadically or haphazardly or occasionally, the more we can intentionally and consistently hold before our mind a true vision of God, the more it'll change our life. Our, our life will be more and more set on the things of the Spirit. And so intentionally and consistently. What, what do intentionally and consistently mean? Okay, we do it on purpose. Intentionally means on purpose, not on accident. Like, oh, wow, today I actually thought about God a lot. Right? No, we do it on purpose. Yeah, do it continually, regularly, okay? Now, that doesn't mean you, you constantly have to be on your knees in prayer. That's not what I'm saying. It just means you need to find uh, intentional, deliberate ways that you, you, you bring God back to consciousness for you and you refocus your mind on him and when we say a true vision of God probably one of the best ways to to acquire a true vision of God is to look at God as revealed to us in Jesus right like in our passage last night the Lord the Lord is Yahweh well um, Jesus is Yahweh walking around on earth with skin on so do you want to know what Yahweh is like look at Jesus because Jesus is Yahweh walking around in skin and bones and one, one little practice that is really a helpful little practice, first time I did it, I was a student at BBC, so I know students at BBC can do this, is read through the Gospels and watch and listen to Jesus and let him tell you what God is like by watching him and listening to him. What does Jesus do? Well, that's what God's like. What does Jesus say? What does he value? What does he prioritize? Let Jesus show you God, Okay. I know that sounds like, gentlemen, this is a football. I know that sounds real bare bones. It's terribly important. You want a true vision of God? Well, well, Yahweh walked around on earth in skin and bones as Jesus. So read the Gospels and pay attention to Jesus and just, this is what God is like. Learn who God is by seeing Jesus in action. That can be helpful. Um, Another little practice related to this one that, that I think is, is really helpful to us beginning to acquire a true vision of God and even reprogram our brains because we have to unlearn a bunch of false crap in order to learn true stuff, right? And so a really helpful practice for doing that is the power of the imagination. Imagination is not just child's play. It's for grown-ups too. And for grown-ups who want to actually set their mind on the things of the Spirit, very powerful. Um, and what I mean by the power of the imagination is, well, let me just tell you, I'll tell you a story, a BBC story. Um, um, I won't use her name because I didn't ask for permission, although I'm pretty sure she wouldn't mind if I, if I told you. But I, was, uh, I used to teach Foundations for Spiritual Growth on Thursday nights. So we were down the hall here after Thursday night class one night, and one of my students, uh, class was over, it was about, about 8, 30, 9 o'clock at night, class just got over. She's still sitting in the classroom, all the other students are leaving, and she's still sitting there, um, and she looks, you know, you can tell, something was off. She was her soul was unsettled, she was upset about something, and so I asked, hey, are you okay, what's going on? Um, she started to kind of, unload her soul a little bit with tears and so we're talking and I'm listening and um, one of the major things I used to do in that class was I really emphasized 
two big truths about grace. Well, this particular student was really struggling with grace and God being a God of mercy and love and grace. She knew it was the right thing to believe, and she believed it as far as her doctrinal creed went, but as far as experiential living went, just hadn't penetrated the depths of her soul. And so the student was sharing all this with me. And so we began, I, I just began saying, well, let's start with this. And I gave her a passage. I think the first one I gave her was Romans 5.1. Um, there is therefore, or Romans 5.1 is, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. And we exult in the grace of God in which we now stand. Um, so I said, let's just take that passage. I just want you to apply your imagination to it. So I want you to read that for the whole next week, seven straight days. I just want you at some point each day, take that passage and read it. Pray through it. Think about it. And then imagine it. Imagine if it were true. If it were true, how would it feel? If it were true, how would it affect your relationship with other people? were true. How would you feel about God? How would you feel about yourself? Let's just apply your imagination. If this really were true, imagine it. Did that passage, and then a week later, we did another passage. A week later, we did another passage. I just applied the, had her apply the imagination to it. Because when you begin to imagine something, you're picturing it, you're visualizing it, you're taking it in in a way deeper than just reading it and having it go through the conduit of your mind. You're slowing down, you're chewing it up. And so, the power of the imagination for both holding a true vision of God and even acquiring a true vision of God can be very, very, very important for your spiritual life. Um, it's really, it's easier to use the imagination for stories. Um, this guy that I just baptized, before I even baptized him, as he was just first awakening to Jesus, I had him use the imagination on the prodigal son's story. Except for the next week read the prodigal son story, told him where it was at. Actually, I texted to him so he, he could remember when he got home. And uh, I said, just want you to read it, and I just want you to imagine the story, picture it, like a movie. If you were going to make a movie of this story, how would you do it? What would it look like? What do the characters' faces look like as they interact with each other? Just see it, visualize it, picture it. it for him, it rocked his world. All of a sudden, he was seeing Jesus' vision of God and the father of the story in his mind's eye, and he was experiencing it because he was imagining it. The power of the imagination. So just use your imagination as a way of meditating on Scripture and exploring Scripture. Um, I'm not going to do, I'm not going to have you practice it. We just don't have time. But 1 John 3, 1 is one that has meant a lot to me. I grew up at home without a dad. My dad left when I was three and a half. That's my earliest childhood memories, and that my dad walked out on the family. Um, and First John 3, 1 has meant a lot to me. Uh, Behold how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that's who we are. And you, you can take even a text that's not a story like that and imagine it. What does it feel like to be God's, God's little boy? What does it look like between God and me? Being a dad now, I can get a glimpse of how God must feel about me. How does he feel about me? And to picture that and to imagine that. It's powerful for changing our soul and taking in a true vision of God. So intentionally, consistently filling our mind, holding before our mind, centering our mind on a true vision of God as revealed in Jesus. All right? It's really important for setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Um, <clears throat> another little bit that's really, really helpful to us is uh, keeping... Uh, God, 
Jesus, the Spirit, consciously present to us. Keeping, he's, he's present, he's everywhere present, just not always consciously present to us. So keeping him consciously present to us. Um, two suggestions for doing that. One is this. Uh, it's part of your plan to walk by the Spirit, intentionally planning to pause and reconnect with God throughout the day, with Jesus throughout the day. Um, the intentionally planning part is important because if you don't intentionally plan it, it's going to happen piecemeal, occasional, sporadically. But if you plan it, it'll happen more consistently and regularly. So planning times. Um, we're all wired different. You're going to have to figure your, your rhythms and the way your life works and your schedule and all of that. Um, currently, my only two co-workers are my two dogs. Literally, I say it's time to go to work. They run into the office and Shiloh lays under the desk, and Gage lays behind my chair, and we sit down and we work. And, and uh, every day, between 9.30 and 10, Gage, uh, Gage decides uh, it's time for a break. We've been working out by that point by 9.30 or 10 for about two and a half hours. And Gage will get up, and he'll, he'll kind of whine and look at me, and he'll take his little paw and tap me on the leg. Type on my computer, tap, tap, tap. You know, Gage, I'm working, tap, tap, tap. And then he'll run out of the room, and he'll come back with his ball. Gage is ready for a break. So we take a break, and we go play fetch in the backyard. And it's also a good time for me just to push pause and say, okay, I'm also going to, after I'm done entertaining Gage, uh, I will reconnect with Jesus. Um, and what I'm finding, what I'm learning, is I'm learning that about every two to three hours is a really good rhythm to just intentionally stop and take just like what we've been doing in here, five, six, seven minutes, slowing down, recentering, refocusing. Every two or three hours, just intentionally planning that in your day. So that's one, one way of keeping God consciously present that I think is really important is every, every couple hours, two, three hours, pausing, stopping, taking five, seven minutes and just maybe going back to the passage you read in the morning, maybe just saying a prayer, maybe just uh, taking a passage you memorized for life of Christ and meditating on it because it directs you to Jesus, I don't know, something like that, where you actually intentionally pause and reconnect with Jesus. Another little, another little um, strategy for doing that that I, I find very helpful is at the transition points of your day, using those as opportunities to pray, right? So at the transition points of your day, stop and pray, okay? And what I mean by transition points are when you're changing from activities, you're driving to work. You're going to meet with somebody. You're, those are transition points. You, you know, if you, uh, if you don't live on campus and you're driving home or whatever it is, those transition moments in your day, those seam moments in your day, use those as to, to stop and thank God for what's happened so far in the day and for, ask for God's grace, help, and blessing into the next whatever you're going to. Uh, for me, it means usually a lot of appointments with people, and so my transition points tend to be asking God to bless this conversation and fill it with good things and grace and let it be good. And, and so at those transition points in your day, stop and pray, okay? So just two suggestions that I think could be helpful for setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. Uh, third, third suggestion here, that <clears throat> third idea that I think is really important. I'm going I'm to state it as a big category and I'm going to give you a specific tool, okay? First one, and that's this. Filling your mind with God's word and God's ways. Filling your mind 
with God's word and God's ways. Um, some old guy from the past said, you want to be so full of the Bible that were there to cut you open, you'd bleed Bible. Uh, that your, what's your blood type? Bible. Yeah. Fill yourself with God's word and God's ways. Um, how do you do that? You got to read it. You got to memorize it. You got to meditate on it. You got to soak in it. Uh, it's already been uncovered that I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker. Um, when I make tea, I don't just take my tea bag and go. That's pretty weak tea, and it's not very tasty. If I make a good cup of tea, what has to happen? You got to steep the bag into hot water, right? It's the only way to do it. Until the water has absorbed the tea. And likewise with your heart, your mind, and your soul. You've got to steep your mind in God's word. And that just takes time. Uh, so you're going to memorize scripture in some of your classes here. And some of the passages, not all, all of them are profitable. Some are more profitable. Right? You probably don't want to memorize and meditate on a genealogy. Uh, but there are some passages that you're going to memorize for, for class that you can do it as an assignment or you can do it because you want to set your mind on the things of the Spirit. And the way you do it is going to radically change your, your experience of it. So fill your mind with God's Word and God's ways. Meditate on it. Soak in it. Pray it into your soul. Memorize it. Don't tell me you can't memorize the Bible because, I don't know, 20-something years ago, 23 years ago when H.B. Norman was a student here, H.B. was 72 years old as a student here. He was in my Philippians class. Back in the day when I taught Philippians, they memorized about 66% of the book of Philippians. Um, and H.B. 72, and he's like, I'm old. I can't memorize. And I said, well, let's try. Let's figure it out. And so I said, have you tried chanting? I'll try that. That didn't work so well. Have you tried you know, writing out the whole thing and then crossing out a word at a time and then reading it. There are strategies we can figure out to help you memorize it. You can chant it. You can sing it. Just give it a little bit of meter, you know. I mean, think of all the songs you've memorized that you didn't try just because of the rhythm. You can memorize if you want to. If you want to. And it might be hard. It might be challenging. And HB, by the end of the semester, had memorized all those passages. And he was shocked and ecstatic. I didn't know I could do it. And it feels so good to memorize that much scripture. Some passages are harder than others. It took me three attempts to memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and my first two attempts were miserable failures. Third attempt worked pretty well. I need to retool it because I've forgotten large chunks of it. Um, but... So uh, Jesus' organization of his thoughts in the Sermon on the Mount didn't connect nearly as well as Paul's thoughts do in Philippians for me. So it just took more work. Some pastors are going to be harder, but you can do it if you're willing to put in the time and the effort and the work and experiment with what works for you. So fill your mind with God's word and God's ways. Memorize scripture. Pray through scripture. And the power of that is this. If you have scripture memorized, then everywhere you go could be an opportunity for quiet time and personal devotions because you're never without Bible. You're never without Bible. 
So there you are, you're on your way from here to Rock Springs, Wyoming, and you're in some canyon somewhere, and it's, it's pitch black, and the stars are out, and they're huge, and you look out your car window, and you see this, how vast the sky is, and all of a sudden, you're, you're quoting Psalm 8. Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. When I consider the heavens, the work of your fingers, the sun, moon, and the stars that you have made, what is man that you take thought of him, or the son of man that you care for him, and that you've made him a little lower than the angels? And you and Jesus have some good time together right there on the road. So, fill your mind with God's word and God's ways. Um, and then, uh, one other little suggestion that I think is important and something I, I've practiced in, inconsistently over the course of my life, and I'm trying to re-up it and do better at it, but intentionally, deliberately end my day uh, prayerfully with God. Where I review this current day and I prepare myself for the next day. So that as I go to bed, I'm going to bed uh, with my mind set on the things of the Spirit. So thanking God for the things of the day. God, thank you um, that I got to interact with students at Boise Bible College today. Thank you for the opportunities you gave me to serve you today. Thank you for uh, whatever it is. Thank God for the day, the good things of the day. If there's things that were left unresolved and you, you, you need God's help for, just set those in his lap before you go to bed. Um, and then begin to prepare for the next day. God, as we, we go to bed and we rest, help me rest well. And as I think about tomorrow, God, I got to deal with, I got to do. So would you just prepare me and give me the grace as I rest to be prepared for tomorrow? Uh, I think that's really important to, to review your day with him, to thank him for it, to prepare for the next day. I think that can be really, really helpful. So those are just... <clears throat> Just some suggestions. Um, they are not like laws that you have to do in order to be, you know, a Christian. They're maybe some wisdom to actually help you walk by the Spirit. Um, and remember, the means aren't nearly as important as the end or the goal, and the goal is deep attachment to God by His Spirit. So you experimentally begin to figure out what does it look like in my current stage of life, with my current responsibilities, in the way I'm wired, what does it look like for me to live a life that's deeply attached to God by his spirit? You figure that out prayerfully. Begin to ask Jesus to show you, and he'll be faithful to help you do that if you really intend to do that and want to do that. Begin to put some plans in place and figure out what it looks like. Um, as I said this morning, um, a good number, perhaps most of the Christians in churches in America today want the blessings and benefits of a spirit-filled life, but they don't want to rearrange their life to be filled with the spirit. What about you? Do you want life and peace, but you don't want to do what's necessary to have it? Or do you actually really, really want it? And are you willing to rearrange your life to get it? Because it's not a secret. Paul told us, walk by the spirit and set your mind on the things of spirit. This, this is life and peace. So if you want that, you can have it if you'll just rearrange your life to get it. And you have an incredibly great opportunity here to do that while you're at BBC. You can make this all about school and academics and all the other stuff, or you can say, God, the main thing I want. All that other stuff's going to help, and they're going to be a part of it, and they're going to be the environment in which I do it, but the main thing I want is I want to know you, and I want to walk with you, and I want to be close to you. And if you will rearrange your life to do that, God will gladly come to you. He promised.
draw near to God, and he draws near to you. He promised. So you don't have to doubt it. You don't have to worry about it. If you'll draw near to him, he's just waiting for that opportunity to come close to you. Let's, uh, let's pray. God, would you help each one of us, whether we're a faculty member in the room, whether we're a student in the room, staff, administration, whether me, myself, would you help all of us to realize the incredible treasure we have in doing life with you? And would you help us not to take that for granted? Would you help us to center our life, to rearrange our life, to plan our days each day to set our mind on you and to do life with you? And would you give us the grace and the strength just to keep doing that day after day, to get to know you? And God, as we do that, would you, would you come to us? Would you fill us? Would you shape us? Would you change us? Would we know your life? and your peace, and your love, and your joy. And would that radiate out through us to everybody we talk to each day. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.